Hello. Welcome back to another episode of Diagnosing a Killer, The Mental Breakdown. That sounded so weird. What? Because we usually go, hello. Hello. So when coming in and whispering like, hello. Well, we both just got it in right there. Hello. Guys, this is fucking happening. This is the last episode before the con. I can't even contain it. I'm so excited. Like, it's ridiculous. I'm just like, I just want to mingle with people. I just want to like rub elbows, you know? know? I'm really excited to meet other podcasts. This is a huge networking opportunity for us. Yeah. And of course, I'm really excited to meet Lainey in person. I want to meet Lainey. I want to meet Lainey in person. I just, like I said, I want to be in a room full of like-minded people that enjoy the same content. Thank you. Yes. Because I feel like every other person I talk to in my daily life is like, yeah, okay, we get it. You host a fucking (laughs) podcast. Like, I don't want to talk about it. But, But the listeners get it. You get it. Yeah. And everyone at the fucking festival will get it. I know. So. I love people really like, I'm just not into true crime. And I'm like, I How? guess you're just not my kind of person then. Yeah, honestly. <laughs> no, we love our friends that aren't into true crime. It's true. Because if they're not into true crime, sometimes they're into psychology and that's fun. There you go. We can always have something to talk about. <laughs> and if they're not into true crime and psychology, they probably like to drink alcohol. That's true. And, <laughs> and then, then we we'll do that really well. <laughs> listen to us. Yeah. <laughs> Well, again, welcome back to another episode, guys. Before we get started, do you want to shout out our handles? And then I have a couple things to say, and then I'm going to get into this mental breakdown. Sure. You can check us out at diagnosingakiller.com. There you can find links to resources and merch. You can also get those last-minute tickets in for the True Crime Paranormal Podcast Festival happening this Friday. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. They actually just released the Saturday only tickets. Yeah. So there's $65 a piece. Unfortunately, you can't use our discount code on that, but $65 a piece, Just way better than 160 that they were having originally. For sure. And everybody will be ready and set up by Saturday. That's going to be the biggest day for sure. So that'll be the 25th of August through the 27th of August this weekend in Austin at the Doubletree. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. It, the website is has all the information that you need. I was, when you said the dates, I was like shaking and looking at the calendar. I was like, <gasps> <laughs> what is it? What is it? close. <laughs> you can check us out on social media anywhere at diagnosingakiller.com other than an X, which is other than an X, other an than X. X, which is at Killer Diagnosis. Check out our Patreon. Check out our, we have a PayPal. If yeah. you just want to do a one-time con- contribution or something. A instead of donny. Being, yeah, a little donny on there instead of uh, becoming a full-time Patreon member. However, that Patreon membership does, on the Tier 2 and Tier 3, include an exclusive bonus episode Yes, brought to you by yours truly on on Tuesday, so I'm excited. That's going to be really exciting. Yeah, Yeah. so Tuesday after the con, the 29th, is when that's going to release, and are we going to tell them right now who you're doing? We're going to talk about it after the episode. After the episode. So you got to wait. Or you can be a cheater and just fast forward to the end of the episode. You could fast forward, but then you would miss my amazing... Sultry voice explaining this disorders that we're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> this disorders. This, these disorders. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, okay. I'm excited. Yes, I'm really excited as well. And thank you guys in advance for all the support. We're really excited to meet you guys. I guarantee we have some listeners that we don't even know that are coming. Mm-hmm. So I'm really excited to meet some people that we don't know. And you guys probably know a lot about us, but we're really excited to know a lot about you. We're also going to have a book for requests. If you are going, we're yeah. going to just bring your requests with you in your mind so that you can write it down in our book. Yeah. And we'll feature the page or something. Yes. 
Speaking of requests, this mm-hmm. episode is a request. A double request. It is a request. I think I said that on the last episode. Mm-hmm. But this episode was requested by none other than Lady You're Scaring Us, the women of. Oh. And they wanted me to, not me, but us, to break down fetishistic disorders. Okay. So we're talking about fetishes. We're talking about some pretty gnarly things. I will just say a quick content warning. This is obviously going to have pedophilia in here. So there are fetishes that have to do with children. Things that maybe make some people uncomfortable, maybe some traumatic discussions that we might have. Right. And also, there is some outdated language, because I'm getting most of my info from the DSM-5. Okay. So just to let everyone know, this is all verbatim from the DSM-5, but just a quick content warning on that. Mm -hmm. Are you ready? I'm, yeah. Okay. So the the true term is paraphilic disorders, is what we're going to be talking about. So paraphilic disorders are recurrent, intense, sexually arousing fantasies, urges, or behaviors that are distressing or disabling, and that involve inanimate objects, children or non-consenting adults, or suffering or humiliation of the person or a partner with the potential to cause harm. Okay, so this is not like, I'm into feet. Or I'm into, like, BDSM. It's, like, way bigger than that. Okay, Okay. yeah, okay. (laughs) So there's eight different types of paraphilic disorders, so we will go through those now. So the first one we're going to be talking about is by itself, fetishistic disorder. Mm-hmm. So the group term is paraphilic disorders. Fetishistic disorder is its own thing. Okay. So the diagnostic criteria, A, over a period of at least six months, recurrent and intense sexual arousal from either the use of non-living objects or a highly specific focus on non-genital body parts as manifested by fantasies, urges, or behaviors. Okay. B, The fantasies, sexual urges, or behaviors cause clinically significant distress or impairment in social, occupational, or other important areas of functioning. Okay. And then C, the fetish objects are not limited to articles of clothing used in cross-dressing, as in transvestic disorder, or devices specifically designed for the purpose of tactile genital stimulation, a.e. a vibrator. Okay. So... (laughs) A-E-I-E. A-E-I-O-U. And example. (laughs) A-E-I-O-U. Oh, my God. So, yeah, it's pretty much saying, like, it's inanimate objects that are not, like, when people wear clothing of the opposite sex or, like, a sex toy, essentially. So, it's, like, Dahmer being obsessed with, like, people's hearts or lungs. Yeah, and he, like, gets off on that. Yeah. Inanimate, for sure. Inanimate, because it's not alive. Yeah. And then, what was the what was the last one? Oh, it's just uh, not something that would be used to create... It's not made for sex. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, again, we're not going to go through, like, everything that the DSM-5 says, but I will do, like, kind of onset and then prevalence of, stu- of all these. Okay. So, development and course. Usually, paraphilias, as in, like, the group of disorders, have an onset during puberty, mm-hmm. but fetishes can develop prior to adolescence. Once established, fetish- fetishistic disorder tends to have a continuous course that fluctuates in intensity and frequency of urges or behavior. Interesting. Yes. I think Robert Crumb, um, who was an older artist, he would talk about, I think, his his fetishization of... Fetishization, right? Yeah, sounds right. Of, I think it was, like, women's heels that he remembered, like, when he was three or four years old. And yeah. he was or two years old and crawling and grabbing his mom's heels. Hmm. And that was always, like, a thing somewhere. Interesting. Yeah, Freud's probably loving that. Yeah, but, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> And then lastly, about fetishistic disorder, the comorbidity. I wanted to pepper this in there as well. Uh, It may occur with other paraphilic disorders as well as hypersexuality. Rarely, fetishistic disorder may be associated with neurological conditions. No, rarely, though. Hmm. 
You ever, like, hear of those phenomenons where people hit their heads and they start speaking French and stuff? Yeah. Do you think they'd, that that's possible? Like, you get, like, a traumatic brain injury and then all of a sudden you have a fetish for, like, a computer or something? Yeah. Maybe. A computer. <laughs> I'm just looking at the closest thing reminds to me. Me. <laughs> <laughs> it Reminds me of that, uh, I saw that update for that guy that was in love with his car. Yeah. You remember that? And he's, he got a new car and he was all, like, bummed that he yeah. had to, like, sell the other one. Well, he didn't, he's, like, it we was, broke up. it, <laughs> they didn't break up. He, it was in a car accident. Yeah. So oh my it's God, like I a, feel bad now. Yeah, it's like a death. Oh like he no. treated it like a death. Oh, that's so awful. Isn't that awful? I feel bad for him. Yeah. And then he got a girl car. And he's like, yeah, yeah, this is my new beau. Well, he doesn't believe in like gendering inanimate objects, which is interesting. Yeah. That is interesting. Are you ready for number two? Yeah. Bring number it on. Two. Number two. Bring it's it. called. Oh, I thought you were going to say bring it on and then you like cut yourself off. But then I remember you were saying bring it like from Jeopardy Chamber. Yeah. <laughs> Sam, Sam Buttrey. <laughs> and. My favorite, James Holzhauer. Yeah. I love Andrew He, but I think Amy, Amy Schneider is my girl. For yeah, sure. absolutely. Okay, so the next one is called Exhibitionistic Disorder. Exhibitionistic Yeah, this disorder. one's kind of long. Okay. Like the word. So over a period of at least six months, this is the diagnostic criteria, recurrent and intense sexual arousal from the exposures of one's genitals to an unsuspecting person as manifested by fantasies, urges, or behaviors. Okay, like a flasher. So this is... Yeah, someone that, like, comes up and they're, like, wanking it, and they but they want you to see. Yeah. Yeah, but, like, you don't know. Like in a Walmart parking lot. Yes. And then diagnostic criteria B, the individual has acted on these sexual urges with a non-consenting person, or the sexual urges or fantasies cause clinically significant distress or impairment in social, occupational, or other important areas of functioning. Yeah. So it's, like, to the point where, like, you can't hold down a job because you have to just, like, show someone your genitals and they don't need, you just, they don't want to see it. You just have to. Yeah. The subtypes for exhibitionistic disorder are based on the age or physical maturity of the non-consenting individuals to whom the individual prefers to expose his <gasps> or her genitals. Oh, so it can be, like, a minor if they're into that. Yes. Or, like, an older person if they're into that. Absolutely. The non-consenting individuals could be prepubescent children, adults, or both. That's disgusting. So there's subtypes on all of these disorders, but that's, like, making the, dif- the distinction between the two. Even in the last episode, I was talking about that couple that was having sex on that Yes, on that mm-hmm. Ferris, Ferris wheel. wheel, and I find that really interesting because I mean, is that part of like ex- exhibitionism? Is like they feel like they're like out in the open, so it's like dangerous, and so they do it. I don't know if that was with the intent of showing other people their genitals, though. I think That's they were true. just like horny teens. Yeah, you know, I don't know. The guy was creepy. Yeah, probably so. Now, the prevalence of this one, uh, it's actually unknown. However, based on exhibitionistic sexual acts in non-clinical or general populations, the highest possible prevalence for exhibitionistic dis- disorder, <laughs> oh my god, exhibitionistic, exhibitionistic disorder in the male population is 2% to 4%. So okay. kind of high. That's kind of high. The prevalence of exhibitionistic disorder in females is even more uncertain, but is gener- generally believed to be much lower than in males. Yeah. Now, development and course, adult males with exhibitionistic disorder often report that they first became aware of sexual interest in exposing their genitals to unsuspecting persons during adolescence, hmm. at a somewhat later time than the typical development of normative sexual interest in women or men. So, like, older teens, if you will. Yeah. Instead of, like, preteen. Oh, I kind see. Of age. Although there is no minimum age requirement for this diagnosis... It may be difficult to differentiate exhibitionistic behaviors from age-appropriate sexual curiosity in adolescence. That's true. So it's kind of hard to diagnose. Yeah. At at least at that age. Yes. And then uh, comorbidities are largely based on research with individuals, almost all males, convicted for criminal acts involving genital exposure to non-consenting individuals. 
Hence, these comorbidities might not apply to all individuals who qualify for a diagnosis of exhibitionistic disorder. Yeah. Conditions that occur comorbidly with exhibitionistic disorder at high rates include depressive, bipolar, anxiety, and substance use disorders, hypersexuality, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, other paraphilic disorders, and even antisocial personality disorder. Yeah. That makes sense, though, the last one. It's true, because you wouldn't be able to say that every person that's in that's been convicted of a crime of exposing genitals is someone with exhibitionism mystic yeah it's a hard word to say i said it like 18 (laughs) times yeah exhibition exhibitionistic exhibitionistic disorder because you know some person might be drunk at a bar and needs to take a piss on their way home yeah you know like that would be considered so you, you can say that that would be the same as someone intentionally exposing themselves yeah it's not with you know the intent of sexual arousal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Number three. Number three. This one is called fraturistic disorder. Frot- fraturistic. Spell that? F-R-O-T-T-E-U-R-I-S-T-I-C. Fraturistic. Fraturistic disorder. Okay. So diagnostic criteria. A, over a period of at least six months, recurrent and intense sexual arousal from touching or rubbing against a non-consenting person. Oh my God. As manifested by fantasies, urges, or behaviors. Mm-hmm. B, the individual has acted on these sexual urges with a non-consenting person, or the sexual urges or fantasies cause clinically significant distress or impairment in social, occupational, or other important areas of functioning. Okay. I think they call that sharking. Sharking? What is that? (laughs) It means when you ejaculate on someone that's unsuspecting. That's gross. Sorry, I'm, like, turning the page in the DSM. It was, like, rubbing against my shirt and making a bunch of noise. (laughs) I didn't mean to say that's gross. That was a response out of my brain that when I wasn't paying attention to what I'm pretty sure they call it sharking. Sharking. Don't Google it. I won't. If you're not a person that wants to know what sharking is. Just Urban Dictionary it. Got it. Prevalence. (laughs) Fraturistic acts, including the uninvited sexual touching of or rubbing against another individual, may occur in up to 30% of adult males in the general population. 30%? Yes. Approximately 10% to 14% of adult males seen in outpatient settings for paraphilic disorders and hypersexuality have a presentation that meets diagnostic criteria for fraturistic disorder. Hence, whereas the population prevalence of fraturistic disorder is unknown, it's not likely that it exceeds the rate found in selected clinical settings. But think about it. Think about it. We all know a guy. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not trying to be I ugly. Don't. I'm really not. We all know uh-huh. a guy that will take it a little too far, especially when he's drinking. Yeah. And dancing or otherwise. Thank you. In a club. Like it's like we know a guy that can get a little creepy. Yeah. Everyone knows one. Maybe mm-hmm. even women can do that. Women can get creepy oh, yeah. all the time women when they're get, drunk. Oh god. So it's not far fetched to think that it could be thirty percent of males that ha- yeah. that have this. Yeah. Because they're getting arousal because the person doesn't like it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people have that mindset when they're drunk. It's true. Men and women. I And it's gross. In a lot of really <laughs> dense populated areas, I'm sure it's a problem, too. Yeah. Because you're, like, on a subway train. Or like, or yeah, in New York, you just walk past someone. Walking past someone. Yeah. Right? Yeah, exactly. So, it's not far-fetched. Now, development in course... Adult males with fraturistic disorder often report first becoming aware of their sexual interest in surreptitiously touching unsuspecting persons during late adolescence or emerging adulthood. However, children and adolescents may also touch or rub against unwilling others in the absence of a diagnosis of fraturistic disorder. Although there is no minimum age requirement for the diagnosis, fraturistic disorder can be difficult to differentiate from conduct disorder behavior without sexual motivation in individuals at younger ages. 
What is that? Like, just, uh, like, playing grab ass or something? Conduct is, yeah. I would say... And it not being sexually oriented? Yes. I would also say, like, and I'm not a professional. I'm not diagnosing anybody or adding my (laughs) knowledge to the DSM. Yeah. I would also say that an exclusion as well would be maybe a child with a developmental disability, like autism. They're on an autism spectrum. Kiddos on the spectrum don't really have those boundaries set some of the time. And they touch private parts without even recognizing what they're doing, right? Yeah. Or they rub up against someone's area without even knowing that that's inappropriate. Right. So I think that that would also be an exclusion. Hmm. And I'm sure it says it in here somewhere. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I just wanted to pepper in my pepper knowledge in there. In. Complete side note, I already told Koel this, but I wanted to share it with you all. I have a coworker, well, I guess no longer a coworker, it was her last day today, and right before she left, she told me that she that I was one of the smartest people she's ever known, and I was like, Oh my god. That's like, so nice. I literally was like, that is the biggest compliment I think I've ever gotten from a colleague. That is so nice. Like, I've never heard that someone's ever said that to me that, like, matters, like, their professional opinion, right? Yeah. And it made me very happy. And Alex, if you're listening, thank you very much for saying that. That was really nice. But I was telling Koala, my mom, through tears, because I was so happy. <laughs> really I was nice. like, you know, I was doubting myself all week this week because of the festival. I was mm-hmm. like, what if people don't like our content? What if people don't like what we have to say? What if they don't think we're, you know, educated enough? Yeah. And that just got rid of all of those fears. Yeah. So the point of the story is, if you think something is great about someone, tell them. Yeah. And just be nice to yourself as well. Yeah. Because I was kind of kicking myself. I'm like, oh my God, like all I focus on are my failures. Yeah. But I never focus on like the good things that are happening in my life, unless it's like a big like event happening, right? So anyway, just wanted to throw that in there as well yeah i mean it is true though i feel like there's not enough you know complimenting someone being tossed around and i'm not saying let be a weirdo but you know <laughs> just uh you know it's nice like when you i had told a story after that about somebody that i used to work with and um they didn't think that i liked them and i was like well you know what <laughs> I kind of didn't, but I've grown to really respect <laughs> that person yeah. and love that person and understand that person. And it took me a hot minute, but I really wanted to get to know them. And when I did, I loved what I found. Yeah. And I just, I had to tell them, this is what I love about you. You're yeah. a no-nonsense person. And I really appreciate that, you know? I'm definitely someone that really goes out of my way to make others feel good about themselves. Like, yeah. I will go up to some random person at the bar and tell them that I love their top. Sometimes mm. I don't love their top, but I know that it makes them feel great. <laughs> okay, Regina George. <laughs> no, I'm serious. And I'm not, okay, does that sound bad? No, <laughs> like, it doesn't. But, I mean, the top's not, I'm like, uh, let me rephrase. I wouldn't wear the top, but they're fucking rocking it. And oh, I'll yeah. tell them that, yeah, you know? Sure. I'm like, this, that's a fucking great top. You look amazing. I hope you yeah. have a great night. Of course. Just be nice to people. Anyway, fraturistic disorder. <laughs> uh, <laughs> comorbidity of that. Okay. So, known comorbidities are largely based on research with males suspected of or convicted for criminal acts involving sexually motivated touching of or rubbing against non-consenting individuals. Hence, these comorbidities might not apply to other individuals with a diagnosis, diagnosis, excuse me, based on subjective distress over their sexual interest. Conditions that occur comorbidly with fraturistic disorder include hypersexuality and other paraphilic disorders, particularly exhibitionistic disorder and voyeuristic, voyeuristic, Jesus Christ disorder, conduct disorder, antisocial personality disorder, depressive disorders, bipolar disorders, anxiety disorders, and substance use disorders also co-occur. So there's a lot of comorbidities. There is a lot. Potential differential diagnosis for fraturistic disorders sometimes occur also as comorbid disorders. 
Therefore, it is generally necessary to evaluate the evidence for fratricidic disorder and possible comorbid conditions as separate questions. Yeah. So that I'm, makes sense. With 30% of the population, or, you know, of men, at least, then that's, that's, that's a big blanket there. Yeah. So there's yeah, gotta be something else, like, no going wonder, on, maybe. Yeah, no wonder there's a lot of comorbidities. Yeah, absolutely. Number four. Number four. We knew it was coming pedophilic disorder okay so the diagnostic criteria for pedophilic disorder i'm glad you put it in the middle so that we have a before and a palate cleanser yeah this is just alphabetical order so oh okay i'm sorry <laughs> didn't do that on purpose Thanks. didn't do that on purpose well i'm glad it's in the middle <laughs> a over a period of at least six months recurrent intense intense sexually arousing fantasies sexual urges or behaviors involving sexual activity with a prepubescent child or children generally 13 years or younger b the individual has acted on these sexual urges, or the sexual urges or fantasies cause marked distress or interpersonal difficulty. And C, the individual is at least 16 years and at least five years older than the child or children in Criterion A. Wow. There's also a note in here that says, do not include an individual in late adolescence involved in an ongoing sexual relationship with a 12 or 13-year-old. Wait, what? So it's like, if you're like 16 or like 17 and you're dating like a 12 or 13-year-old, like, it's cool. Well, there's probably a it's different a term long, for it. It's what a it means. long term, though. So, like, you know, if if a, a young person is like 11 and they're like 14, yeah. you know what I mean? There's That's like true. a bit of an age gap there, but technically they're consenting, not consent because they can't give consent, but yeah. they're, it's a mutual thing, you mm -hmm. know? So, by the time this person's 16 and they're still 13, then. Yeah, exactly. That's probably what know? it means. Yeah. Because it did say long term. Yeah. Prevalence. The population prevalence of pedophilic disorder is unknown. The highest possible prevalence for pedophilic disorder in the male population is approximately 3 to 5%. I thought it was higher, honestly. I'll be honest. Well, they did say it's unknown, but yeah. I do feel like it's higher, too. But it says the highest possible is 3 to 5%. Yeah. Like, I feel like it could be higher. I feel like, yeah. I feel like it could be higher, too. Yeah. But, you know, I, I feel like there's... If you have to meet all three of those criteria, though, because there might That's be people true. that have sexual fantasies of children and that unfortunately look at child porn yeah but haven't committed an act yeah that's true you know not that it makes it any better no it definitely doesn't it's gross yeah. but you know of course uh the population of pedophilic disorder in females is even more uncertain but it's likely a small fraction of the prevalence in males that's mm -hmm. what they say Adult males with pedophilic disorder may indicate that they became aware of strong or preferential sexual interest in children around the time of puberty, the same time frame in which males who later prefer physically mature partners became aware of their sexual interest in women or men, which is interesting. So it's the partner that usually recognizes it, or can recognize it. No. It's Sorry. the same age range that, like, so the same age range of males where they realize that they're into children is the same age range of males that realize that they're into older people. Oh, okay. It's around the same age that they recognize I see what that. You're saying. So there has to be something with the brain development, I guess, because yeah. that's when you recognize, like, What preference. you're attracted to? Yeah. yeah. Hmm. What, I say preference, like, it's so casual. Like, no, no. don't fucking do that. That's gross. <laughs> okay. It's a, like, it's a, like, <laughs> like, it's a lifestyle choice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, like, it's a choice. Attempting to diagnose pedophilic disorder at the age in which it first manifests is problematic because of the difficulty during adolescent development in differentiating it from age-appropriate sexual interest in peers or from sexual curiosity. Hence, Criterion C requires for a diagnosis of a minimum age years of 16 and at least 5 years older than the child or children in Criterion A. Pedophilia per se appears to be a lifelong condition. Pedophilic disorder, however, necessarily includes other elements that may change over time with or without treatment. Subjective distress, 
psychological impairment, or the propensity to act out sexually with children or both. Therefore, the course of pedophilic disorder may fluctuate, increase, or decrease with age. Hmm. Which I thought was kind of interesting. Yeah. Because what it's saying here is that pedophilia and pedophilic disorder are two different things. Like, pedophilia is, like, lifelong, like, terminal, right? And then pedophilic (laughs) disorder is, like, you might be able to be, like, changed, like, mindset-wise, but, like, also, like, they're both horrible. Like, don't do that to children. Well, I mean, I guess... This is such a hard topic, first of all. But I feel that much like any other disorder, you can treat it. Yeah. Is it going to be there forever? Probably. But you can know what to avoid. Yeah. Um, Triggers. It triggers, yeah, therapy and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. And just lastly, for comorbidity, psychiatric comorbidity of pedophilic disorder includes substance use disorders, depressive, bipolar, and anxiety disorders, antisocial personality disorder, and other paraphilic disorders. Mm-hmm. However, findings on comorbid, excuse me, comorbid disorders are largely among individuals convicted for sexual offenses involving children and may not be generalizable to other individuals with pedophilic disorder. Okay. So that's all I have to say about that one. <laughs> so slams the laptop closed until Monday. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Number five. Number five. This one is called sexual masochism disorder. The diagnostic criteria for this is A, over a period of at least six months, recurrent and intense sexual arousal from the act of being humiliated, beaten, bound, or otherwise made to suffer as manifested by fantasies, urges, or behaviors. Okay. It just sounds like BDSM. Yes. B, the fantasies, sexual urges, or behaviors cause clinically significant distress or impairment in social, occupational, and other important areas of functioning. That's the difference. Okay. Yeah. yeah, (laughs) I can't go to work because I'm bound up right now. Yeah. Exactly. It's like, I'm going to miss my job because I'm bound. (laughs) Prevalence. I'm I'm a little tied up at the moment. (laughs) Prevalence. The population prevalence of sexual masochism disorder is unknown. In Australia, it has been estimated that 2.2% of males and 1.3% of females have been involved in bondage and discipline, sadomasochism, or dominance and submission in the past 12 months. Yeah, they're all liars. There's way more than that. that exactly. I'm That's just that right one now. study. <laughs> Community individuals with paraphilias have reported a mean age at onset for masochism of 19.3 years, although earlier ages, including puberty and childhood, have also hmm. been reported for the onset of masoch- masochistic fantasies. That's interesting. I feel like that's pretty young. 19, I think, yeah, yeah, right? But then again, I think that, and this is me making a generalization. I don't know about this. Yeah. I think that people that get introduced to that world are introduced by someone much older mm-hmm. and more experienced. Yeah. And that sounds like an age that you would start, like, experimenting, like... Mm-hmm. Where you would realize, like, oh, maybe I'm into this. I need to talk to someone more experienced or whatever, right? Yeah. Like, you have, like, the wherewithal to kind of, like, seek it out. Yeah. For sure. Right? We said seek sense. at the same time. That's did we? So funny. We did. That's funny. I feel like we do that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> All the time. And then lastly for that one, uh, comorbidities with sexual masochism disorder are largely based on individuals in treatment. Disorders that occur comorbidly with sexual masochism disorder typically include other paraphilic disorders, such as transvestic fetishism. Okay. It's kind of hard to say. Trans... Transvest- transvestic fetishism. fetishism yes and we'll get into that uh, that one as well number six number, yes. six number six this one is called sexual sadism disorder okay and we've ha- had ca- ha- <laughs> had cases where we've talked about people that may have had this before in yeah the past, correct? i feel like masochism and sadism are like hand in hand 
because just terminology wise, like generalizations that people might make or use. Yes. So I'm interested in the difference. So I'll just really quickly in layman's term, tell you the difference. I think masochism is when it's on yourself and sadism is when it's on another person. Oh, okay. Yeah. So like you enjoy humiliation or you enjoy humiliating someone else. Yes, exactly. And again, that's just for these diagnoses, not like in general. Terms. Okay. So again, sexual sadism disorder, diagnostic criteria. A, over a period of at least six months, recurrent and intense sexual arousal from the physical or psychological suffering of another person as manifested by fantasies, urges, or behaviors. And B, the individual has acted on these sexual urges with a non-consenting person, or the sexual urges or fantasies cause clinically significant distress or impairment in social, occupational, or other important areas of functioning. <laughs> That's the last like, wow. line for all of them. Yeah. So it's like a... Turn the page. They're not <laughs> expecting to be humiliated. Like, they're not consenting yeah. to BDSM, essentially. Okay. Yeah. Prevalence. The population prevalence of sexual sadism disorder is unknown and is largely based on individuals in forensic settings. Depending on the criteria for sexual sadism, prevalence varies widely from 2% to 30%. Oh, my gosh. Among civilly committed sexual offenders in the United States, less than 10% have sexual sadism. Hmm. Among individuals who have committed sexually motivated homicides, rates of sexual sadism disorder range from 37% to 75%. Oh my gosh! Yeah. That's That's dense. Individuals with sexual sadism and forensic samples are almost exclusively male, but a representative sample of the population in Australia reported that 2.2% of men and 1.3% of women said they had been involved in bondage and discipline, sadomasochism, or dominance and submission in the previous year. That's that same study from the other one. Information on the development and course of sexual sadism disorder is extremely limited. One study reported that females became aware of their sadomasochistic entrance as young adults, while another reported that the mean of age at onset, same thing, 19.3 years for men. I find that interesting, though, because just because that many people have admitted that they participated in it doesn't mean that it goes so far to where they are. Like, it, it is a specific, like, it diminishes their quality of life, is what yeah. I'm saying, you know? Mm-hmm. Exactly, Which yeah. Which is part so, of the disorder, the disorder that's why, itself. Yeah, that's why they're saying, like, the study suggests that this may be, like, a thing, you know, it's like, it we're, we don't be, have, like, yeah. set evidence that, yeah. like, this is actually happening. And then comorbidities are largely based on individuals convicted for criminal acts involving sadistic acts against non-consenting victims. Hence, these comorbidities might not apply to all individuals who never engage in sadistic activity with a non-consenting victim, but who qualify for a diagnosis of sexual sadism disorder based mm. on subjective distress over their sexual interest. Yeah. Also, consent is the big thing here, too, right? Absolutely. Because that's the thing is, like, if you're victimizing someone, yeah. that's part of the disorder, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Like, if sure. you're manipulating someone into believing that this is, like, okay. Like, they're safe. Or they're, yeah, exactly, when they're not, then mm-hmm. that's that's part of the disorder versus two consenting adults. Yeah, absolutely. And then, uh, Morbidity just includes other paraphilic disorders mm. with this one. Number seven, Number seven is transvestic disorder. Now, you might have heard me say this earlier when I was reading content from another disorder. Mm-hmm. So, transvestic disorder diagnostic criteria. A, over a period of at least six months, recurrent and intense sexual arousal from cross-dressing as manifested by fantasies, urges, or behaviors. And B, the fantasies, sexual urges, or behaviors cause clinically significant distress or impairment in these areas of functioning that we okay. talked about. So, we're not equating what it means to be transgender and yeah. that stuff it is the sexual arousal of dressing as the opposite sex yes absolutely okay. the prevalence of transvestic disorder is unknown transvestic disorder is rare in males and extremely rare in females fewer than three percent of males report ever having been sexually aroused by dressing in women's attire 
The percentage of individuals who have cross-dressed with sexual arousal more than once or a few times in their lifetime would even be lower. Hmm. The majority of males with transvestic disorder identify as heterosexual, although some individuals have occasional sexual interaction with other males, especially when they are cross-dressed. Okay. So, so yeah. So, but you said the majority of people with this disorder are heterosexual males. Yes. And sometimes will engage in sex or otherwise as when they're dressed in yes women's clothing yes and i and because I think of the sexual arousal yes and i think it's interesting that it's not something that's really common to be repeated hmm. they say that a lot of people that are diagnosed only did it once but yeah. they are still able to be diagnosed based on the criteria I they see. didn't meet the criteria i see and then uh there's not really much information about like development course so i'm just going to mm-hmm. go into comorbidity so uh the comorbidity is often found in association with other paraphilias the most frequently co-occurring paraphilias are fetishism and masochism. Hmm. One particularly dangerous form of masochism, er- autoerotic asphyxia, is associated with transvestism in a substantial portion of fatal cases. Interesting. Yes. So that th- is that is definitely something that I would not have even considered. Yeah. So I thought that last little bit of information was interesting. Mm-hmm. Something I didn't know for sure. Yeah. You said that the onset doesn't really have like a specific onset. Do you think that's because it's like exposure, exposure to that kind of a thing? And then you Maybe. try it once and then you kind of enjoyed it. Yeah. I think that honestly, there might just not be enough information because it's yeah. so rare yeah. for people. I mean, it's for, true. it must be hard for people to admit that, especially because most of them are heterosexual males. That's true. It's probably have, they probably have a hard time collecting data on that. Interesting. And lastly, number eight, uh, it's called voyeuristic disorder. Ooh. So a voyeuristic disorder. Do you? Are you <laughs> I don't sure? know. I don't. <laughs> I'd like to joke that I do. Okay, let's see. <laughs> Diagnostic criteria: over a period of at least six months, recurrent and intense sexual arousal from observing an unsuspecting person who is naked. Okay, now in the process of disrobing or engaging in the sexual activity, okay, as take, manifested I, by urges, <laughs> fantasies, or behaviors. Do I take that, that back. No, I take it back. It reminds me of Gerard Schaefer. When he was oh, yeah. wanking it to Lee that was yeah. undressing. Well, yeah, Richard Ramirez used to do that. And um, I think there's a documentary on Netflix that's called Voyeur or Vacancy or something like yeah. that. And it's about a guy who ran a motel and had, like, he would crawl in the air vents and watch people. Oh, my people God, that's creepy. While they rented the hotel. I can't. Ugh. Like, privacy is important, people. Our hotel, like, I scour hotel rooms. Oh, yeah, I always check the... I always check the bathrooms. I always check the metal... De- or the smoke detector. I always check the... The smoke detector? The air, the air vent. I always look in the adjoining door or whatever yeah. it's called. The... If there's, like, a strange hole in a wall, I'll yeah. look in there. Like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Criteria B, the individual has acted on these sexual urges with a non-consenting person, or the sexual urges or fantasies cause clinically significant distress or impairment in social, occupational, or other important areas of functioning. And then criteria C, the individual experiencing the arousal and or acting on the urges is at least 18 years of age. Okay. So, I thought that was interesting, that you it have to be 18 to be diagnosed with this. With, with voyeurism. If Otherwise, you're 17 and 364 days, you're not a creep. <laughs> you're not a creep. You're just creep. a child. You're just a child. That's, yeah. <laughs> doesn't know any better. Voyeuristic acts are the most common of potentially law-breaking sexual behaviors. The population prevalence of voyeuristic disorder is unknown. However, based on voyeuristic sexual acts and non-clinical samples, the highest possible lifetime prevalence for voyeuristic disorder is approximately 12% in males and 4% in females. Oh, wow. I thought that was pretty interesting. That, that is it's pretty high, especially yeah. for females. But I feel gross that I said that at the beginning of this. <laughs> cool houses. <laughs> I don't. Please don't come, like, coming down the street with 
torches and pitchforks. Oh my gosh. Adult males with voyeuristic disorder often become first aware of their sexual interest in secretly watching unsuspecting persons during adolescence. However, the minimum age requirement, like we said, is 18 years because there is substantial difficulty in differentiating it from age-appropriate puberty-related sexual curiosity and activity. You know, yeah, I was I was thinking about that, too, you know, and we did talk about Richard Ramirez, and although we understand that Richard Ramirez is the Night Stalker, that he was, like, 11, 12 years old, yeah. and it, there's always that age-old scene and a lot of coming-of-age movies where the boys are hanging out in a tree with binoculars, yeah. you know, and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. It's, like, uh, something about Mary, too. Yeah. Does, he wasn't actually doing it, but they thought he was, like, creeping on her just getting dressed in the yeah. room. Well, that was in a window, though. Yeah. I guess it's still voyeurism. It would be voyeurism way. if he yeah. was, if he was watching her without her knowledge, That's which he true. wasn't. He was looking at he the birds. He was looking at the birds. But, <laughs> but just yeah. saying, it's kind of the same thing. I mean, that's how uh, Marty McFly would have never been conceived because yeah. Crispin Glover was up in that tree in the Back to the Future and he was supposed to get hit by the car and fall in love with the mom. But instead, Marty pushed him out of the way. Follow us for more spoilers. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> so the uh, comorbidity conditions that occur comorbidly with voyeuristic disorder include hypersexuality and other paraphilic disorders, particularly exhibitionistic disorder, depressive bipolar, anxiety and substance use disorders, ADHD and conduct disorder and antisocial personality disorder are also frequent comorbid uh, conditions. Goodness. I know there's a lot going on with that one. Yeah. So those are the eight paraphilic disorders, hmm. but I'm sure people are wondering like, where does sex addiction come into all this? Yeah. Because sex addiction is a real thing that everyone has heard of, I'm sure, and people talk about a lot, especially celebrities. Yeah. So I just want to touch on that really quick, and then I do have some celebrities as well Ooh. that have come out in the open about this. I'm not, like, creeping on that. people and making it a big thing. I don't want to hear about David Duchovny. I don't think he's on here. Oh, he's not on here. Otherwise, <laughs> I don't think. I wrote the fucking list. He's not on here. <laughs> I don't think he's on here. So, sexual addiction is an intense focus on sexual fantasies, urges, or activities that can't be controlled and cause distress or harm your health, relationships, career, or other aspects of your life. Although sex addiction is the commonly used term, healthcare professionals will refer to this disorder as either compulsive sexual behavior, problematic sexual behavior, hypersexuality, hypersexuality disorder, sexual compulsivity or sexual impulsivity okay there's a lot of different types sure and we could probably do a whole mental breakdown on all the different types right yeah. <laughs> hypersexuality seems to affect anywhere from three to ten percent of the u.s population and it is more common in males than in females the average age for seeking help for sex addiction is 37 wow. and many of the individuals that suffer with sex addiction about 88 percent have a history of other mental health conditions such as mood disorders anxiety a history of suicide attempts, personality disorders, OCD, and other addictive disorders. Wow. So there's a lot more going on than just sexual addiction. Do you think 37 because you've sowed all your wild oats and you're like, I have, this is still a problem. Like, yeah. I can't settle down. I need to get help. I, yeah. Yeah. I can't. Not that you have to settle down. I'm not saying that you have to get married. I'm yeah. not saying you have to have a long-term relationship. But it might be a realization when a lot of people around you are doing it. Are doing it. And, you know, you're not able to get to work on time because you stayed up way too late last night because yeah. of the whatever, you know? Yeah. Exactly. Or you're seeking out connections with people maybe you shouldn't be. Yeah, absolutely. So I do have some celebrities. It's just a couple. <sighs> But I wanted to throw this in there. So mm -hmm. the first one we have is Jada Pinkett Smith. Oh, I did Pinkett know Smith. Sorry, I, I said it right, but my nose did this weird thing. <laughs> Jada Pinkett Smith. Yes. So she stated that she was addicted to sex when she was younger, mm -hmm. but forced herself to quit cold turkey by confronting the real reasons for her behavior. Yeah. 
These are all just really small snippets, so that's sure. all I have on her. Yeah. The next one is Lamar Odom. Okay. If you don't know, that is Kourtney Kardashian's ex-husband and the father of her child, two, her two children, excuse mm-hmm. me. He stated about his addiction, quote, I am a sex addict. That sick sin was hard for me to hide. I had a problem, end mm-hmm. quote. He stated that sex would trigger his drug use as well, and he is now recovering from both. Yeah, he's been doing really well, too, mm-hmm. and he's, his mom just passed, too. Mm-hmm. Is- yeah, I know. It's really sad. Um, Kanye West, which is not, like, funny haha, but, like, kind of ironic because he was also married to a Kardashian. Yeah. He stated, quote, Like, for me, Playboy was my gateway into full-on pornography addiction. My dad had a Playboy left out at age five, and it's affected almost every choice I made for the rest of my life. From age five till now, having to kick the habit, and it just presents itself in the open like it's okay, and I stand up and say, no, it's not okay. It's like that was such a script out of a rock star's life. My mom had passed a year before, and I said some people drown themselves in drugs, and I drowned myself in my addiction. Sex. End quote. At age five, that is... That's heavy. That's heavy. Like, he saw a soft corn... Soft porn so, soft, soft core, porn yeah. soft corn and soft it corn. like triggered this like yeah disorder like mm-hmm. essentially later in life yeah the next one is colin farrell mm-hmm. he commented that he had a reputation that gave him the nickname the lusty leprechaun oh my no <laughs> don't he would enter rehab shortly after filming a sex tape and after leaving rehab, Colin stated that having sex sober was, quote, terrifying, end quote. <gasps> wow. So it was, like, a big deal. That is, like, a big comorbidity thing, then. Yeah, for sure. Russell Brand is also on here. He claimed that sex was, quote, recreational, unquote, for him, end quote. And his consistent consistent acts actually landed him the title of, quote, shagger of the year, end oh quote, God. in the UK. Wow. Russell claimed that at its worst, he would have sex with 10 women in a day. <gasps> He is now in recovery as well. Yeah. And he also struggled with substance use as yeah. well. And lastly is Rob Lowe. Rob Lowe? Rob Lowe would Atkins, come Rob Lowe? <laughs> he would come clean about his drug addiction in 2011, and he had also filmed a sex tape that had surfaced around the same time. Wow. He stated that after this was in the open, he entered treatment to help him, and he credits his wife, Cheryl, for helping him as well. Oh. He's been sober for 25 years. Yeah. It's Do you really know cool. who I... I saw recently a sober, I think, celebrated their 19th or 20th year was Bradley Cooper. Wow, good for him. He's been sober for a long Dang, time. Dang, and he played in A Star is Born, like, that. he played yeah. an alcoholic. Well, even in, like, The Hangover, you know? Yeah, like, that's true. that where he's playing, like, a party dude, yeah. you know? Dang, good for him. I know, right? I didn't know that. Wet Hot American Summer, I love that movie. I so haven't seen it. thinking, like, a Wet Hot American Summer is probably... 20 years old, 20, yeah. 25 years old. That's so he was drinking then, which is interesting. Or, you know, or whatever his addiction is. I can't speak for his, for his, why his, why his sobriety is his sobriety. Yeah, but for sure. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting. That is interesting. Well, yeah, that's my mental breakdown. It was so good. So I wanted to just bring that up. And obviously it was a requested mental breakdown, but I remember I was mentioning to you like a long time ago, I think we had maybe tossed around the idea of doing this. And yeah. you were like, that's all you. You're like, I don't think I could I'm do not, that Yeah, one. I don't think I could. I'm not, I'm not the go-to. <laughs> it almost sounded like you were going to say, I'm the go-to, like, fetish gal. Yeah. I want you <laughs> to tell me things. <laughs> you tell me what you know first. <laughs> wow, that is so far from the truth, but okay. Yeah. Thanks. And I'm I- not embarrassed. <laughs> anyway. This was a requested case, which is why I was like, when I saw it, I was like, okay, I'll just go ahead and do it. But I yeah. hope you guys enjoyed this content. 
with the exception of us laughing and making jokes, like, this is very, like, serious. Like, these are very real disorders. So we appreciate you guys understanding that sometimes we make jokes and we laugh because we're uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. But these are very real disorders, and our goal is to educate people on them as well. Of course. And I definitely, I felt like I learned a lot, honestly. Yeah, no, absolutely. I learned a lot doing the research, so. Very nice. Even though I'm educated. Yeah. Okay, we're going away now. (laughs) All right. Love you. Love you. Bye. Bye.